this week on Dig Me Out. Jay, this week we're back with our final Patreon poll of the year. It's for the month of November 1997. We gave our Patreon subscribers four albums to pick from, and they overwhelmingly, Jay, finally, we have a clear and decisive winner. We did not have that uh, many times this year or at all. Are you happy? People with that? are passionate about it. Yeah. Our pick. Either that or they were like, we want to see if they're capable of actually reviewing this record. <laughs> that, that, ha, that was, ha, they ha. might have all conspired against I us. I do feel like our patrons mess with us a little bit. Yeah. So the four options that we gave them, these were four albums that were released in November of 1997. We've got AFI's Shut Your Mouth and Open Your Eyes, Black Grapes, Stupid, 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 Hymns, Greatest Love Songs, Volume 666, and Lisa Loeb's Firecracker. The consensus with 64% of the vote overwhelming runaway winner, Lisa Loeb's Firecracker, is what we'll be reviewing on this show. The uh, follow-up was AFI's Shut Your Mouth and Open Your Eyes with only 18%, and then Black Grape and Him tied at 9%. So, Jay, that's that's an overwhelming selection for Lisa Loeb there. I would not have guessed that. Me neither. I kind of want to hear the the rationale there. Well, here's some some we, comments on the episode and why why people were so passionate about this. Well, here's here's an interesting uh, bit of feedback on that. So Stephen Musinski said, "Tough lot here. I'm inclined to vote for AFI, but they didn't hit their stride until the album after this one, in my opinion." So I went with Lisa Loeb. That Tanya Donnelly album took me by surprise, so I'm hoping maybe this one will do the same. There you go. Interesting logic behind that choice. Okay, okay. Jason Pan said, haven't listened to any of them besides vaguely knowing the Don't Fear the Reaper cover on the Hymn album. Most hopeful of finding something interesting out of the Lisa Loeb album here. So here goes nothing. So there you go. Jason had no idea about any of the four albums and took a shot in the dark. Okay. Keith Sawyer said, please, please, please do not do that stupid, stupid, stupid Black Grape album. So we know he didn't pick that one. (laughs) There's three other options he might have chosen. Uh, Gavin said, for me, this has to be Black Grape. Not normally in my wheelhouse, but a great fun album that should have had more exposure. Probably... A better collection of of catchy potential singles. That's how I remember it. Please don't let him win. So some some definite like I don't like this album and I don't want it to win uh, feedback on hmm. this one. Is there a way that you can vote against stuff in Patreon? So you, you mean can like for and vote against? Delete someone else's vote? I don't think that that's yeah. possible. <laughs> well, I fear we would come out at zero some sometimes. That's just true too. <laughs> And then Darren Leach said, AFI for me. Saw them live recently. Such an exciting live band. So I feel like from what we got, the people who are interested in Lisa Lowe based on uh, the, the Tanya Donnelly album sort of surprising us and, and everyone how good that was. And hopefully we're, we're setting up a repeat here. 
Um, and then also there seemed to be some definite dislike of a couple of the albums we we picked, which is why they both ended up with 9% of the vote. I see. Yeah. So want to thank all of our subscribers and all of our uh, Patreon folks. They join us at patreon.com forward slash dig me out uh, each week for uh, bonus stuff, voting, all the kind of cool stuff that we do on that episode uh, or on that uh, uh, website in our last um, month bonus episodes on the new Food Fighters record and um, Jay's uh, Meltdown episode, which was fun <laughs> for the Corner Shop record. Oh, man. That will live in infamy. Jay, I know you're familiar with Lisa Loeb. I mean, she had a monster single with Stay. Yeah. Now, the interesting thing, I don't know if you know this about that song, but she was an unsigned artist when that uh, was put onto the Reality Bites soundtrack and when it was released and like went crazy all over radio and TV on MTV and stuff like that. Um, hmm. She was a I... neighbor of Ethan Hawke. Okay. The actor who was in the movie Reality Bites. Yeah. And she ended up uh, meeting him at the New York City Community Theater where they both went to. And she had started making some, like, I guess some music for his plays that he was doing. And so Ethan Hawke gets cast in this Ben Stiller film called Reality Bites. And Ethan Hawke says, hey, you should check out this song from this woman that I'm working at the community theater with. And Ben Stiller says, that's really good. We're going to use it on the, the ending credits of the film. And so it gets added onto the soundtrack. And then he, and then Ethan Hawke shoots a video for this, you know, the song and there's no label. So it's the first time ever that a artist has gone into the hot 100 with no record label. And it ended up going, the single went gold in three months. They She got nominated uh, with her backing band, which was called The Nine Stories, for a Grammy for Best Pop Performance by a Group. They won the Brit Award for Best International Newcomer. So the wow. album actually wasn't released until after that, which was called Tales. That was released on Geffen in 95. And then she made Firecracker um, just as herself. It was did still include members of the band who were who were nine stories, but they shortened it to just Lisa Loeb. And then Firecracker, which we're reviewing, came out in 97. After that, she's put out a number of records. Uh, Cake and Pie in 2002. Hello, Lisa. Uh, also in 2002. 2004, The Way It Really Is. And 2013, No Fairy Tale. She's also done a bunch of children's albums. Catch the Moon in 2003. Camp Lisa in 2008. Lisa Loeb, Silly Sing-Along in 2011, Nursery Rhyme Parade in 2015, and Feel What You Feel in 2016. She's done a couple books, and she actually runs a, this is interesting, she runs a um, camp for, or a, she was a charity that is set up to help kids go to summer camp. Um, I'm trying to remember what the name of that was. I didn't write that down. Oh, it's called the Camp Lisa Foundation. So it's a nonprofit, send kids to camp. And she also has her own eyewear company called the Lisa Loeb Eyewear Collection. Huh. Yeah. Is it owned by Luxottica? I don't know. <laughs> they own all. Basically, other than Warby Parker, you, there's hardly any glasses that you can buy that aren't made by Luxottica. Whether I did not they know be, that. 
whether they be Ray-Ban or whatever, Gucci or whatever brand, they're all right. a Luxottica. I'm not going to name my brand because we're not receiving free uh, eyewear, but if the uh, company... I can guarantee you it's Luxottica. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So, Jay, let's talk about this record. Now, had you heard anything off of this record prior to us reviewing it? Uh, the song I do sounded really familiar to me. Yeah. Um, but I uh, wasn't sure. I don't believe I did. Okay. I was the same thing. I remembered the single. Probably saw it on MTV or heard it on the radio at the time back in 97. But I don't recall ever listening to this record. So, Jay, tell me one thing you liked about Lisa Loeb's Firecracker. Um, I I like the I like the songwriting. I think there's some really good uh, songwriting on here. You know, she keeps things pretty short, doesn't get overindulgent. There's a couple tracks that go over the four minute mark, but for the most part, the songs you know stay pretty concise and to the point. Um, I think there's a lot of potential here with the songs. Um, there's some pretty good hooks. There's some pretty Pretty good, decent lyrics. Um, the choruses are fairly strong. You know, overall the production is is solid. Um, I, I I listen to this. We're past the yeah the studio stuff, right? This is are we in no- November? Yeah. Okay, so I listened to the record um, with open back headphones, which really for music that's a little bit more natural sounding like room sounding it's great um so the record sounded great like uh i thought the production was was really strong there's some very cool like extra vocals added here and there mm-hmm. or harmonies layers usually two to three guitar parts on every song um sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't but from a production standpoint you know it sounds really really good um a lot of the record is played at a very controlled sound, I guess, fairly quiet. Yeah. Which, you know, for a headphone listen, that's pr- usually the way to go with a record like that for me. Um, Cause you can pick up on all that ambience and the dynamics that you would miss if you're just listening to it through speakers. So, I mean, I think those are the good points for me. The songwriting and the production um, are the two that really stand out. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I think I kind of unfairly, thought of Lisa Loeb as sort of being a little more uh, twee, I guess is maybe the word. Um, what the hell's that mean? Um, light and fluffy. And uh, okay, I, yeah. didn't, I didn't think of her as having a lot of um, depth in terms of her songwriting. And I, it's probably because I didn't spend a lot of time with it, but just hearing the singles. Um, but I think one thing that I really picked up on was how much how much deeper these songs are and how much more emotionally uh, complex track two falling in love was one that like hit me really hard. Like that's a really well-constructed song. Um, I think it has a gorgeous melody. And I first, I thought it was a cover. Like I thought, well, this has to be like a, a co- like a, an old, like Emmy Lou Harris song or something like that. Like this, ha- I, I can't believe that this would be like something that would be written in the nineties. Cause it just has like this, country ballad feel to it and um but no it's it's her song there's a nice pool in my motel you want to go for a swim that night he moved in i 
A lot of this record is about, you know, it's things that you would normally write about in sort of old pop songs, I guess, you know, heartbreak and love and and um, stuff. But she has a way with um, on a lot of these tracks, Falling in Love and Furious Rose and a couple other ones of utilizing strings that just add a little extra punch to the um I guess the seriousness of the lyrics and not that it's like a downer record or anything like that, but it just the little bit of orchestration that they add really adds a little bit of um, extra gravitas. I think that's the second time this season I've used that word and uh, slow down with the gravitas drops. I know I'm getting all Kiefer Sutherland up in here. Yeah. So I think that was the thing I didn't, I don't think I placed her in the, you know, when I think of like nineties, you know, female, singer songwriter or even get, take the female out of it but like you know i kind of put her on the second tier with like a you know like duncan chic like that's one where i like i liked one of the two or the singles but i didn't really care that much for his stuff i just thought they were kind of pretty uh alt pop acoustic pop or whatever you want to call it but then like diving into this record it, it's it seems a little bit sadder in some spots and um I don't know what she was going through personally at the time, but uh, definitely sounds like there's some breakup songs on this or or dealing with some breakups on this record. So it kind of, you know, it doesn't get into like Fiona Apple territory in terms of the production. You know, obviously her working with John Bryan, it brings a totally different flavor. But I did feel like there were a number of songs where they added some interesting instrumentation and added some like you said, with the backing vocals and stuff like that, where it takes it out of just a simple singer-songwriter space and adds a little bit more flavor to it. So that's where I'm at. I get the feeling, though, Jay, based on hearing your what you liked, that you have some hesitations on this record. And I think I might share some of that. <laughs> yeah, it's not perfect um, by any stretch. So... You know, at its worst, it is painfully generic sounding. So yeah, from the production standpoint, which I said, you know, it's there's nothing wrong with the production. It's just so safe that it's boring, uh, which, you know, is the worst thing you can be. Um, you brought up Falling in Love, which I, I agree. I mean, the, the, it's a really well-written song. Um, should have been a hit. Not by her, by somebody else. Now, and I love that it has this country kind of feel to it without going overboard. Yeah. But um, I, I can't help but wonder if, you know, I think what those strings are doing is they're they're really playing the part that a pedal steel would play. Mm-hmm. I can't help but wondering if, if it was a pedal steel and they just committed to that kind of sound that if uh, I might connect with it better because as it is it just it's just not quite there from a an emotion standpoint for me so and then i think that's what happens with a lot of this record is there's moments you know where 
either a lyric or sentiment or a sound connects and makes sense from an emotional standpoint. But there's either that kind of studio musician kind of performances or overproduction or I find when the band tries to like do too much that it becomes really generic sounding. Yeah. I think they're better when they're sparse. Um, and when it's really focused on her, you know, some of the guitar parts and and a couple of the tunes, like let's forget about it where it gets a little dirtier sounding the verses for me in that song and the bridge work great. But the uh, chorus, it's got that chicka chicka guitar stuff going on where you're just like, oh, it sounds like a wedding band or like just generic pop rock song. Let's forget about it. that kind of stuff just pol- polarized me. Um, the moments I could get sucked in to what she was saying, what she was talking about in the, in the songwriting um, were equal to those that would just kind of, I would pull back from and be pushed away be, because of some kind of something performance wise or just an overall sort of default sound or approach to some of the stuff that, mm-hmm just wish they would push harder. Um, like, so a song like firecracker, you know, I think that's maybe one of my favorite songs on the record. And I wish there was more stuff like that. It doesn't need to, I mean, this song's too long, you know, you could take that yeah. song down and it's, it's be fine, but I like the, there's a darkness to it and there's an intensity to it. And it, it doesn't get loud, you know, it's still soft and kind of builds and, but there's just an atmosphere and a, you know a feel to it that's compelling. Yeah, yeah they get the reverbed guitar. Yeah, and like it works with her lyrics and the confessional kind of nature, and it kind of pulls you into whatever it is she, you know, the relationship that she's talking about. the 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 drums are actually used effectively in that, where you know when she starts talking about firecracker and using that line, like the snare drum actually sounds like fireworks. Shouldn't be any great inspiration. I never got your way. I should never have to chase you. You were the one who ran away. Sparks 
the whole thing just comes together in a way that a lot of the other record doesn't. This is a, that's a good moment. And, and split second is another song where, you know, they try to pick up the intensity a little bit and sound more like a, you know, more like a rock song, a Beatles kind of a rocker. But then she delivers like a whisper soft vocal. Yeah. In that song. Like, it, what, what are you doing? I don't it get needed it. needed like a, like I know what she was doing. You know, if you listen to, um, you know, Tanya Donnelly, she yeah. can do the whispery vocals when there's it, yeah. it's a rock song, but she picks it up the intensity right. in the in the chorus. Right. Yeah, and she just keeps whispering, but then just doubles the whisper in the chorus. You know, kind of, it's not. This is not working. Like it, the band sounds great in that song. That's what the, one of the songs where like they're yeah. busier doing more and they sound good, but she's not finding herself in that. So that the album needed another split second, like another up tempo, distorted rock song, like you said, with like sort of a Beatles tinge to it. Because this one, because by the, itself, it just sounds kind of out of place. Right. And I don't want to read too much into this, but you know, her image of being kind of this buttoned up, glasses, you know coffee shop singer songwriter i think that would be so much more compelling if there were moments where she that she pulled that back and broke through it not, not she doesn't go overboard right but like those moments where she steps forward out of that and you see a more complete person or another side or maybe a little like anger or darkness like that is super compelling but she spends way too much of this record sort of in this happy, you know, there's two or three songs in here where you're just like, I don't know, they're kind of almost like kid songs feeling, you know, they're just too bright and happy sounding. And I don't, I don't, I don't yeah. get anything out of that. It doesn't well, work for she, me. She would go on to write several children's albums after this. So <laughs> there you go. And that's fine. But for a rock record, right, you need to have that kind of what's the flip side here, you know? If it's all sunshine and lollipops, then it's not rock and roll. It can be fun, but I need a little darkness or danger or something. Yeah, I agree with you. I needed a little more edginess. It's it's just a little too safe in a, in most of the record, and it works for me on like like I mentioned, like a track like "Falling in Love" because that's such like a a almost like beautiful country ballad that it it works in that spot. It doesn't need rough edges maybe it needed like you said some pedal steel in place of the the strings to sort of ground it a little bit more in that country vibe but yeah the the back half of the record especially you know you mentioned firecracker being a cool song and and split second i think if maybe the vocals were had a little bit different take on them would work better but like for me once i get past furious rose like those songs start getting very generic sounding seven through ten that's where you know then i kind of like lose interest in in the record from there you know i do the the single it's just a good pop song and she plays with the so the way that she delivers i do not in her like how loud or soft she delivers it but just in like the meaning of what she's saying she does a good job of like playing with that and she's a, she's a good lyricist i don't often you know get on lyricists about you know lyricists about what they write 
uh, unless it's like sticking out as being really bad or really good. But she does a really good job of, of in that song and in some other ones. Even if I didn't necessarily love the music or the production, at least the lyrics were interesting. It's just a little too safe, I was, I guess, is the word. Whereas, yep. you know, people were curious about this in our in our Patreon comments based on that Tanya Donnelly record. That was not a safe record, I don't think, no. in that she tackled no. so many different sounds and, you know, styles on that record that were not what we expected. So, and she just lets loose as a singer. Like, yeah. you know, she knows when, okay, now's the time I, I'm going to do something. You know, I'm really going to dig in and push it and do something different. Uh, Lisa Loeb never does that. You know, you go from a whisper to, you know, a, sort of a standard pop vocal. Like you never hear anything beyond that. And that's fine, I guess. But something needs to do. Something needs to push the edge for me. Yeah. You know, for this to really be special. And it doesn't. I love the album cover. It's a cool. Is that a drawing? Uh, it's a it's a painting. It's kind of a, like a '60s or '50s style oil painting, but it's it's just a I don't know. It sets a cool mood. So let's we can just address this, Jay. Mm-hmm. The Tales, the record she did prior to this, 1995, which had the song "Stay on It," that mm-hmm. reached number 30 on the U.S. charts. It uh, sold, made gold certification, which is um, I believe that's was that 500,000 and um sold pretty well across the world 15 in canada 42 in australia uh 39 in the uk this album only made it to number 88 it did not chart in australia it made it to 53 in canada made it to 157 in the uk um to me after i do there's no logical radio single for like an alt up-tempo pop track yeah like you said, I th- I think "Falling in Love" is a is a great song, but it's not a single in the in this sense. Yeah, no, I mean this is a adult contemporary record. Yeah, it's not a rock record or an alternative record. There's something alternative about this. Well, it's alt pop in the sense that it's not a an 18 year old singing songs that are written by somebody in Sweden. You know, and well, sure, by, sure. You know, I mean the, that kind of the, alt pop in the same way that. Ed Sheeran is, yeah, <laughs> all pop. Yeah, I mean, sure. And you need to then you need to bring the hooks. You know, I mean, you got to like hit people over the head with it, which this record doesn't. I mean, it's it's melodic and it's has some strong choruses and it's well written as we've covered, but it's not that level. So yeah. it's more adult contemporary to me than yeah. than anything yeah. else. It's a weird ground. It's just too safe to be anything rock and roll or alternative. So you're left with either this is a straight pop record, which just don't think it's that accessible. I mean, there's a lot of like stuff on here that almost sounds jazzy, you Mm -hmm. know, not in a loungy kind of generic jazzy way. Yeah, it's 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 probably more in that space. I, I suppose like a Celine Dion or something, you know what I mean? Minus the vocal. Right. Hour, but that's more along the lines of where it's at for me. Right. All right. Well, Jay, let's give our ratings for this record. Worthy album, better EP, decent single. Where do you fall? I'm going to give it an EP. Um, I like 
Falling in Love. I mean, I like I Do. Uh, I like Firecracker. There's a couple others on here I, I could pick. Uh, you know, so there's probably four, four or five songs on here I like. So, and I, and I'm liking them from a really from a, a songwriting standpoint. Um, you know, I think they're quality uh, songs. I don't know that I'm super passionate about them, but I can view them as a you know as somebody who appreciates good songwriting and, and to recognize that. Yeah, honestly, if I'm being truthful, I'm probably at a single. I'd probably do "I Do" and "Falling in Love" as the B side, and that'd be about it for me. I mean, I think, like you said, there's yeah. some strong, well-written songs, but there's nothing I'm really passionate about in yeah. terms of like I need to hear this again. So I'd be at a single. Right. <laughs> no, I mean that's fair. You know, I, 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 I could see that. But I do like. I think "Falling in Love" is an amazing song. I hate saying single because, uh, I, I mean, I could go there, but I fight with that because, um, in my own mind, because I think when we say single, I, I like, I tend to be in more of a, there's nothing redeemable here other than one or two pieces and parts. Um, sure. So I think the songwriting's good enough to warrant an EP for me, but I, I get it. It's not a hard sell for me to get to a single. Okay. Well, that's uh, our ratings on Firecracker by Lisa Loeb. It did not uh, reach the same heights, unfortunately, that the Tanya Donnelly album Love Songs for Underdogs did. Um, I know some people were curious if if we were going to be heading in that same uh, territory, but unfortunately, no. Like, I'm looking at... Well, you know, if you just go to iTunes or uh, Apple Music and just look at who's who's similar, it's... uh, uh, Chibomato, okay, that's pretty different. I Cardigans, put, yeah, that's pretty. Other than that, you know, if you listen to actually listen to their records, they they're pretty edgy and yeah, you know, they do. They have a very distinct sound. Liz Fair, enough said. Tori Amos, I mean, she's pretty like her or not. She's original and edgy. So you know, even within that group, you're like, well, this is pretty vanilla compared to those artists. Yeah, I would not have put her in that. Those would not be the artists. Maybe that's what right. other people are listening to, and that's where they're getting that algorithm. But this is more in like the Jewel, Sean Colvin. Sean Colvin's a good one, yeah. You know, that sort of territory. I think Sean Colvin actually sings on this record. He's like does backing vocal on one of the songs. Mm-hmm. So that's it for me and Jay, or Jay and I, if I want to use the proper English. If you like what you heard, please consider leaving us some positive feedback over at iTunes. And, of course, you can join us at Patreon at patreon.com forward slash digmeout. We're into November, which means we are slowly approaching the end of the year. Make sure to get signed up for our end of the year fourth quarter contest. We'll have prizes. That's multiple for one of our Patreon subscribers come the end of December. So for Jay, I'm Tim. And we're out. We'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Thanks for listening. To support the podcast, visit www.patreon.com forward slash dig me out and become a monthly subscriber or request a review at www.digmeoutpodcast.com 
where you can find links to our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages, as well as our merchandise store at Zazzle.com. Yes,